get into the work at hand it's a series mark has started with us and we're so excited loving every bit of it it's a great series it's a letter of grace of course and it really is a letter about the gospel I mean the gospel is so central to this letter it's really a big deal to Paul we've made that case mark has clearly explained to you why this is such a big deal that we make such a big deal about the gospel and just quickly review, if you haven't been with us, you can catch all of these sessions. They're online at biblicalliteracy.org. But just to review, we've talked about the power of the gospel. We've talked about the priority of the gospel. We've talked about the gospel in practice. And we've made the gospel very personal because it always is. It's not just a corporate gospel. It's a personal gospel. It speaks to both you and to me, to each and every single one of us. And today, I want to take us on into chapter 3 of Galatians. If you have a Bible, turn with me there. And I want us to talk today about the gospel or foolishness. The gospel or not the gospel of, uh, not the gospel or the foolishness of the gospel. I want you to really emphasize that word or because it's the gospel or foolishness. Now, if I can make this work, I always like to read the whole scripture uh, to get it sort of in our minds from a big picture perspective. So join me in chapter 3. Let me just read the first nine verses of chapter 3. And I'm so glad I clipped my fingernails this morning, aren't you? <laughs> Number 3, verse three, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians. By the way, um, just underline that word. Yeah. Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? That's an important word. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed, and here's the gospel, as crucified. That's the gospel. Uh, let me ask you only this, and you know what we love about the Bible is it's real. And when we see Paul, we see the real Paul. Because he says, I just want to ask you one question, and he's going to ask a six. <laughs> Ministerially speaking, one is six, few is many. Multitudes have come to the class today. Uh, Many questions, actually six, some rhetorical, will address four. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive, hey, there's a good word. Let's make sure we hold on to that. Let's receive, uh, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or hearing with faith? You see what's happening here. It's the gospel or everything else. Are you so foolish? We'll let that be rhetorical. Having begun by the Spirit, that's a good word. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? See the contrast, Spirit and flesh. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? And clearly it wasn't. Paul doesn't think so. Verse 5, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God. What did Abraham do, class? Let's say that together. And Abraham believed God. What did he do, class? Believe. Believed God. Did he do anything else? Of course he did. 
He obeyed God. He followed God. He trusted. Oh, there's so many things Abraham did. He honored God. He served God. Oh, he did all those things. Great works for God. But what does the Bible say was credited to Abraham as righteousness? Abraham, say it with me, believed God. And it was counted to him or credited to him as righteousness. Really important words. Know then, pick it up up here in verse 7. Know then that it is those of, what? Faith who are the sons and daughters of Abraham, the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing, that's an important word, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, how? Preach the gospel beforehand to whom? To Abraham, saying, in you, who? Abraham, in you shall all the nations, the ethnes of God, the people, the nations, all the nations will be blessed. So then those who are of, here's the word again, faith, are blessed along with Abraham, who is the man of what? Faith. So there's our scripture. We might not get through all nine verses today. You know how this works. But we're going to give it a good shot. And to start with, I want us to take just a few minutes and do a bit of a short review. Because I want to prepare you for what's to come, which is a short quiz. (laughs) Yes, it is Sunday school, and it's quiz time. So we're going to have a short quiz, four questions, and don't worry, don't worry. I'm going to give you the answers. You're going to make a hundred. No stress, no panic, no worry. Because really and truly, there's only one right answer. You probably, by virtue of reading the text, hearing my voice, and seeing that underline, you probably already know that you cannot see the PowerPoint. Because... Unlike Mark, I forget to switch it over. So there's just one right answer that we'll be looking for here. And then, sorry, uh, you can't go to school without a little homework, so I'm going to give you a homework assignment. But don't worry, it too is stressless homework. So with that, let's jump into this short review. And let's go back now to Galatians chapter 3. Pick up again verse 1. And some of those words you heard me emphasizing along the way there, let's go a little deeper because this is a deep dive in the book of Galatians. And let's start with that first word I emphasized it, gave you a minute to react to it, the word foolish. Now, did, did that word surprise you? Did it surprise you at all that Paul, the apostle, the man of God, the pastor, the preacher, the evangelist, would call the Galatians fools? Well, you say he didn't really call them fools, he called them foolish. It's exactly what he did, it's exactly what he said. Oh, foolish. Uh, Galatians, that, that Greek word, anontoi, it means to be foolish or silly or even stupid. Of course, it does to a degree mean just simply without understanding. It, it means you just didn't know, you just don't understand. But, but hold on to that for just a minute uh, while we explore now that Paul has referred to the Galatians many times. I think 12 times in the letter as brothers. And one time he even called them my little children. So he's not despising them. He, he, he doesn't uh, not like them. He loves them because they are his brothers and because he sees them as his children in the faith, churches that he planted. And yet he's, he still uses this word foolish to, to refer to them. So here's, I want to show you a picture. You just got a glimpse of it. That was a preview. Uh, here's sort of what I think Paul is, is saying and, and with the heart that I think he's saying it. You know, uh, you, you have someone in your, in your family probably that, that sometimes you just shake your head. You know what I mean? Like, really? Like, come on. And, and, and you don't dislike them 
uh, you, you don't think that they're fools, really. They just sometimes do things that are foolish, that make you just want to say, really? I mean, I love you, man, but what you're doing is foolish. What you're doing is just not making sense. I mean, have you thought about what you're doing? Are you using your brain or have you disengaged your thinker? which is really a deeper and better understanding of that word foolish as we have it in the language of the Bible. It means to be unwise, but you've got something to say about that. You have some role in that. In fact, specifically what it says is you're unwilling to use your mental faculties in order to understand. You've stopped thinking. You've stopped using your brain You've known this, we were clear about this, we had an understanding, we were in full agreement, but now, somehow you've turned off your thinker and you have chosen to be ignorant. And that's foolish. I mean, let's put it back in the context of theology here and in the context of the letter, let's think about this, really? Well, let's go a bit further. Let's establish that the trunk of the tree is the gospel, and the limb leading out to the works, the fruit. Uh, uh, write this down, think this, say it out loud, help you remember this. Faith is the root, works the fruit. Can you say that with me? Faith is the root, works the fruit. So you may think once or twice along during the course of this study in the book of Galatians, what's the place of faith? You may hear those who are teaching from this platform on this particular subject to say these people don't think much of works. It's not the point of the teaching. The point is faith. There's certainly a place for works. James said faith without works is what kind of faith? It's not a dynamic faith. It's not a saving faith. It's not a life-changing faith. It's a dead faith. So clearly, there is a place for works in our concept, in our understanding, in our theology and doctrine with regard to faith. Of course, of course, of course. But here's the problem in the churches of Galatia. They're going so far out on a limb of works that they are, as Paul said, he would not do in the last chapter, last verse, verse 21, chapter 2, as if he were nullifying the gospel. That, that's really what they're doing when they go so far out on the limb of works, becoming works-centered instead of gospel-centered. It's as if they're sowing, uh, sawing the log off that they're sitting on. And do you know what that is? Let me give you a word for that. I mean, think about it. You don't separate yourself from the life-giving, soul-saving gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not to say there's not a place for works. Of course there is. You just don't go so far out on that limb that you lose concept, grasp, love for, attention to, appreciation for the very gospel that saved us in the first place. Oh, of course, there's a place for works, to be sure. Just make sure we've got them in the right order and with the right priority. What did I say? Faith is the root, works the fruit. You want to try that again? Faith is the root, works the fruit. You with me? All right, let's jump back into the text now. We're trying to understand why Paul would say to the beloved Galatians, you're acting like fools. Foolish Galatians, he says. Who 
has bewitched you? I think who's a good question. Who has bewitched you? Who? Who's done this? Where's this confusion coming from? Who's unsettled you? That's really what's happening here. Who's churned you up and stirred you up? Who's caused you to start to think so little of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, his crucifixion for our sins, his burial and resurrection, and the reality and promises that we will be resurrected to if, in fact, we are in Christ. Who's caused you to let go of the gospel? We know who they are. Some people call them the Judaizers. Paul calls them troublemakers. He says they are distorting the gospel. He says they are accursed. He also says they ought to be emasculated. And Mark dealt with that last week, and I'll just leave that right there. Paul has no affection for these people. Because of his love from a pastor's heart, from the shepherd's heart for the sheep, for the people, for those he loves, they've come in here and they've stirred them up and undermined their confidence in the gospel. And the result of that can just be devastating. Here's what they're doing. These are bewitching them. Bewitching them. They're deceiving them. That's what the word means. It means to deceive a person by devious and crafty means. It's like magic. It's like somebody casts a spell on you. So that others who aren't under the spell see you, hear you, as if you're mesmerized by something magical. That's what it means to bewitch, to deceive. They've deceived them. And what are they saying? They're saying, well, if you folks want to be a Christian, that's a good thing. Just know that you must first become a Jew in order to become a Christian. That's what they're saying. And they're saying that if you want to become Jewish in order to become Christian, in order to be right with God, then you've got to check a few boxes. You've got to go through a few things. In other words, what they're doing is adding to the gospel. That's what they're doing. Now, we've already learned this. There's a mathematical formula for this. A plus B is not equal to what? A. Now, you wanted to say C because there is that, but this is different. A, and let's assign A the value of the gospel, and let's assign B the value of anything else beyond or besides or in addition to the gospel. Are you with me? B is anything. Now, if you add anything to the real, authentic gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you change the message of the cross. You change the gospel. Paul's saying, don't do that. We've already, Pastor Jared stood right here and went back to Acts 15 and talked about the Jerusalem Council where this very question was asked and answered. And they said, let's add nothing. Don't put a burden on these Gentile believers. Oh, now if they wouldn't mind taking care of a little few things that are really offensive to their Jewish brethren, let's just call it a day. But what we want to say is don't add anything to the gospel. And yet what they're trying to add to the gospel is a system, a philosophy, a list of rules, of do's and of don'ts. But listen, let's get this right. A plus B is not A. Well, I know Mark addressed this. Let's say B is zero. So what if A plus B is A. No, zero, zero. You didn't add anything to A, did you? You still got the gospel. A equals A. A plus B, the gospel plus anything, is just simply not the gospel. So let's take this a little bit further. Let's just make the statement, the gospel plus anything is not the gospel. If you get through all of these weeks of study of the book of Galatians and you don't get that, you've missed the whole book. 
Don't do that. That would be foolish. The gospel plus anything is not the gospel. And you should know this, Paul says, back to the text, verse 1. We have publicly portrayed this to you. We have shown you this in such vivid detail. We were clear and obvious and very public in our proclamation of the gospel. We didn't hide anything. You heard us. You saw us. We were so obvious. These Judaizers, on the other hand, well, they're a different crowd. Instead of placarding the gospel, which is exactly what Paul did. Let's think in terms of billboard. By the way, this billboard that you see is the largest billboard and most expensive billboard in the United States of America. It's in Times Square. It only costs $2.5 million a month to put your message up there. And this is the message. Jesus Christ died for our sin, was buried and raised again as we will be in him gospel Paul says we put that up so that everybody can see it we didn't sneak around we didn't whisper this we yelled it we proclaimed it in such vivid detail that you couldn't have missed it you got it right you saw that you heard it you understood it you comprehended it you were in agreement with it and then and then somebody comes along and starts whispering in your ear something that tickled your ear that this image may bring back memories if you're a c.s lewis fan in the chronicles of narnia you see the witch and you know that she came along edmund and began to turn him against his siblings and against what he knew to be true she enticed him she bewitched him with a whisper you remember how the story goes not so well for edmund and paul says to the galatians who have you been listening to? Who's bewitched you? Who's in your ear? Now we're coming to the end of the context and the, and the review, but I want us to be clear and make this point very obviously that good theology and solid doctrine matter a lot. Listen, it's really important what you believe. You've heard the expression as if your life depended on it. Think bigger. Think soul. Think eternity. I mean, you can get some bad financial advice and make a bad financial investment. It might cost you some money. But let me tell you something. You cannot afford to be wrong about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which means you and I must be extremely discerning when it comes to matters of Scripture, when it comes to matters of theology and doctrine, when it comes to matters of salvation, when it comes to matters of the gospel. Be careful who you listen to. Who cares how many books they've sold? Who cares what list of best read books they make? Who cares how many people watch them on TV or tune into their podcast? You come to every single bit of information from every voice that speaks in your ear and you ask yourself the question, in the Holy Spirit of God, is this true of God? Is this the right word of God? Is it being presented in the right way? And as soon as you hear anything that sounds like the gospel plus anything, stop listening. Change channels. Turn off the media piece. Whatever it is. Because listen, that person bears some responsibility as did the Judaizers for corrupting the gospel or distorting the gospel or adding to the gospel. 
But the Galatians share some responsibility in allowing that to happen by not properly and consistently and diligently using the brain God gave them and the truth of the word that had been proclaimed to them. Can I just show you something? It's called a B-I-B-L-E. Doesn't matter how good it sounds or how much you want to hear it or how many other people are listening to it and championing it. Get out your B-I-B-L-E and check it out. And just be careful, always be very careful who you give your ear to. Because it's kind of a big deal what you believe. And aren't you glad that you've got an amazing Bible teacher that stands here in spite of his incredibly busy schedule and all the demands on his time, effort, and energy to diligently and faithfully open, having studied and prepared, and preach the Word of God in a way that is true. Aren't you glad you're in a church with a commitment to teach and preach the Word of God? So stay in that channel and be careful who you give your ear to. and Always check it against God's Word and make sure that what you're hearing is consistent with what the Word of God has already proclaimed. So there's that. It's quiz time. You ready to take your test? All right. Some of you are excited. I can't understand why. It's been so long since you've been out of school. You've forgotten that when this notice comes up, you're supposed to go, come on, help me. Oh. Come on, give me a good 13-year-old. Quiz time. But don't worry. We'll take you back to Sunday school, but I'm going to make it easy for you. This is a stress-free experience. Stress-free. Because there's only two choices. Which means, for every question, you already have a 50% chance of getting it right. Huh? What are the odds? 50-50. It's right or wrong. That's it. There's not three There's not four, there's not five. There are no combinations. There are no both A and B. There's no C. So I'm setting this up. This is an either or quiz. It's A or it's B. And to help you further, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what A is and what B is. A, you might just classify as works of the law. Works of the law. I'm clicking and waiting. There it is. Works of the law. Or, say that with me. Or. One more time, or, you got to get the or, right? It's the gospel or foolishness. The Galatians had chosen foolishness. And so these are your choices. Choice A, works of the law. Choice B, faith by hearing. Those are your choices. I mean, if you want to say it a little bit differently, you can. If we said, uh, A is what I do toward my salvation, towards being saved, sanctified, set apart, glorified, make it to heaven and all I need in between. All right, let's establish that. A, are works of the law things that I do. By the way, works of the law in this context, that word works of the law, doesn't just mean, although of course it does mean the law of Moses, but it could be any law. Have we said that? It could be any law, it could be any system, any philosophy, any list of do's and don'ts. Because essentially what we're talking about here is human effort or a works-based merit. Things I do. As opposed to what comes by faith hearing in what he did. So it's my work or his work. It's my deeds or his deed. Faith in either A or B. What I do to save myself or what God did in the person of Jesus Christ to save me. Now with that, let's get into the quiz, and I think you'll notice the first question jumps right out at you in chapter 3, verse 2. Let me ask you only this. You want this? You good? Let me ask you only this. 
Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Which was it? So you see the first question, right? Quiz question number one, class, who started this? This meaning my journey, my salvation, my relationship with God. Who started this and, and how was it started? Let's go back to the beginning. And there's a clue to the answer in the question itself. Notice the word receive. And what does receive make you think? Well, by definition, it means to receive or to accept an object or benefit for which the initiative rests with the giver. Now, it's interesting. The word is not in the passive sense as if I receive passively. Passive, no, it's active, receive, but the initiative for the reception of this gift, this salvation, this grace, the gospel, is in the heart of God. So, so we need to try to understand that, that the, the initiative rests with the giver. That's where it all starts. So the question, how did you receive the Spirit? How were you saved? How did all this start? Your choices, I do or he did. I'll take you to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Let's find an answer. In him you also, Jesus, when you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit draws you, convicting you of sin, pointing you toward Jesus for salvation, saves you, the work of regeneration, seals you, the work of security and safety, the work of the Holy Spirit in you. You, when you were saved, the moment you said yes to Jesus and whatever salvation experience, however you would articulate that, the Holy Spirit of God, God was no longer out there or somewhere but in here. For he'll be with you. Because he'll be in you, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit. So you received the seal of the Holy Spirit. How did you receive that? How did you receive him? Was it something you did I mean, did you go find him? Did you, I found Jesus. Yeah, we all know what you meant, but be careful how you say that. Because number one, he wasn't hiding from you. You were running from him. And it wasn't up to you to figure that out and go find him. He wasn't running. He was searching for you. Keep this in mind. Did I do something to merit the reception of the Holy Spirit, of my salvation? No, he did it. He did it. He did it. Let me take this further. The, the choice of re receive could be contrast with what I achieve, what I do, versus what I receive, which is what he did on my behalf. Now stay with me. We're getting there. I promise we'll get there. But let me try to break it down in this obvious billboard kind of way. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You haven't memorized it? Do so. For by grace you have been saved. Through, there's our word, and this is not of your own doing. Hold on. What I do, what I achieve, or what he did that I receive. What's the Bible say? Not your own doing. It is the gift of God it's a gift not a result of works so that no one can boast because you know we would I mean can't you see us standing around heaven and some guy walks up that we didn't expect to see there and we say what'd you do he said me I know you what'd you do boy they must have a pretty low bar around here that's what I can tell you <laughs> let me tell you what I did 
I did this and I did that and I did all of those other things and I did and I did and I did and I did and I did. That, what, what are you going to talk about in heaven? What we did or what he did? Come on, this is a brain thing. Think about this. Common sense here. It's really logical. We get to heaven and we're going to stand around and boast and brag about what we did to get ourselves there. What's the word? Foolishness. Makes no sense. You have to want to think that way. That just doesn't make any sense. No. Because it's a gift from God. Now, we understand what a gift is, but let's be sure we understand what a gift is. What's a gift? It's a gift. A gift is a gift. A gift is a gift. That means that you can't pay for it because it wouldn't be a gift then. It would be owed to you or earned by you. You go to work. You put in your 40 hours. You do a good job. At the end of the week, what do you expect? A gift? Your employer comes to you. He hands you a check. It's the exact amount that you earned minus taxes. And he says, I want to give you a gift. And what do you say? Gift? I worked for this. You can't pay for it. It's not a gift. You can't earn it in advance. Let me tell you something else you can't do. You can't pay it back. You get a gift from someone. Your dear, sweet, beloved or departed, whichever she may be, grandmother, gives you a treasure. A precious, priceless family heirloom means the world to her to give it to you. What do you do? Granny, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Let me just pay you something for that. What have you just done? Whatever you often offered was not of equal value. And in fact, probably served only to offend the wonderful, sweet, giving heart of your grandmother. If she'd have wanted to sell it to you, you'd be having a very different conversation. If you owed her anything for giving it to you, it'd be a very different conversation. You can't pay it back. And I'll tell you something else about a gift too. If it comes truly as a gift, if it's a gift, if it's a gift and a gift is a gift, then there aren't strings attached. Stay with me now. I didn't say there's no place for works. I didn't say obedience isn't the right response of faith. I didn't say we want to serve the Lord and honor him throughout all of our lives from a heart of want to, not a have to. You with me? But what you don't do is get a gift from God that comes with a list of strings attached wherein at the bottom he says, now if you don't do these things, I'm taking it back. That's not a gift. It just means you owe it on the backside. But what is a gift? It's a gift. And let me just say to you, if it's a gift, you can't pay for it and you can't pay it back. Because it's a gift. Just to be sure we nail this down, Romans 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, we know that. But we often don't read the next verse, verse 24. And are justified by his grace as, say it with me class, a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received. Isn't that what we said? What are we saying? What's the question? How do you receive this? How's all this start? How do we get in this thing? How are we saved? How? What's it say? To be received, what? The gift of his grace by faith. Are you getting close to an answer? Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the first question, who started this and how? Here's your choices. Choice A, it's something I achieved by my own works. Or it's something I received based on the work of Christ on my behalf by faith. 
Are you ready to make your answer? You sure? You need time? I don't want to stress you out. I know it's tough. I know it's like, I don't know what he's asking. I don't understand the question. Can I have a third option? No, no. Make a choice. And I think you know what the choice is. The choice is what? B. I receive by faith. Let's go to question number two. We'll go faster. Galatians 3, verse 3. Are you so foolish? So foolish. We'll just let that be a rhetorical question. Don't answer that. Here's the question we want to answer. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Here's question two. Who finishes this and how? All right. So we know how it started. By grace through faith and the work of Christ on my behalf that I receive by faith. How's it end? How's this work itself out? Well, this is an important question. It's the question of after and who finishes what God started. Here are your choices. Who finishes it? Is it something I do? Do I continue to achieve what I only received by faith? Or do I continue to receive based on the work of Christ on the cross wherein he said, by the way, it is finished. Keep that in mind. There's a clue in verse 3 if you look at it. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Begun means initiated by the Spirit and received by faith. And the word perfected, being perfected, is to complete, to finish, to end, to bring to an end, to accomplish. And the question is, do you now have the role and responsibility, having begun by faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross on your behalf, to finish what God started by divine initiative in your own flesh, your own human nature, your, your own merit works and self-worth do you prove worthy of the gift that you received you see what's happening here this question really takes us not just to the beginning but now to the end how does it end well let's talk about it notice first the contrast between spirit and flesh flesh being the old nature now you're thinking right if I have begun this by faith in the finished work of Jesus and I died with him and was buried and raised again in him. Are you with me? Okay. And not only that, but behold, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You got all that. And yet is the question leading us to conclude that what God began by divine initiative, power, and grace, now to be completed in human effort the merit of which is sorely missing. Isaiah said our righteousness is dirty rags. Don't have time to unpack that word, but let me just tell you something. Dirty rags don't get you into God's presence or into God's heaven. So what do we bring to the table? What do we have to offer? What do we need to add? That's the question here. How do we finish this? What's the scripture say? Colossians 2 Verse 6, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Did I read it too fast? As you received, how'd you receive? Question one, by faith. So walk. So, so, so walk it out. So what God worked in is, yes, to be walked out. And we walk it out in the same way God worked it in. How? By effort. By human merit by the works of the flesh that have been crucified with Christ? No. 
The same way, the same way. And how does it end? Philippians 1, 6, you know this is one of my favorite verses, if not my favorite personally. And I'm sure of this, Paul writes to the church of Philippi, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I don't have time to tell you my Taco Bell moment. You never heard that, I'm sorry. Just know this, there was a time in my young adult life when I knew I'd been called by God to teach and preach the Word of God. And I had a few better ideas. <laughs> by the way, if you want to make God laugh, tell Him your plans. And I did, and He laughed, and He let me play. And some years later, it just became clear to me I was not walking fully in the will of God, though in church every Sunday, hello. So I said to God, I, I surrender, you're right. Problem is, it's too late. Gotcha. I've waited just long enough to get past the burn of the call. And besides, I can't do it. Obviously, I can't do it. I've already messed this up. I can't do it. You know what God said to me in front of Taco Bell on Granada Boulevard in Ormond Beach, Florida? He said, hey, he didn't really call me a fool, but he could have. Hey, you're, you're thinking foolishly here, Fleming. Let's, let's get this straight. You didn't start this. You can't finish this. I did, and I will. And by the way, parenthetically, it'd be a lot easier on you if you cooperate along the way. <laughs> right? Come on, help yourself here. The point's clear. God started it. God will finish it. It's not God's divine initiative that leads me to stay saved and finish the journey of faith without faith. Makes no sense. No sense whatsoever. So you ready to answer? Sanctification. That's what we're talking about. First question, salvation. Second question, sanctification. How's all this work itself out? How do I become who God created me in Christ Jesus to be? How? By effort, by achieving, by works, or by faith? What's your choice? Look at the picture if you're struggling. The, the, the fingers on the B, the answer is I receive by faith. By faith. Now, Galatians 3, 4 is a question, but we're not going to put it on the quiz. So see, you get a free one. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Give you a short break if your brain's hurting. Just to think about this, either as a rhetorical question, or that there was some suffering in Galatia that we don't quite know about, or many details concerning. Don't know. But I do know this, when the word vain is introduced into this very important verse that we don't want to overlook, one thing's for certain, isn't it? If we are saved by his divine grace, but sanctified and sustained by our human works, that's vanity. That's vain thinking. That's foolishness. To think that somehow God needs us to finish what God clearly started in us by grace through faith. Enjoyed the break? Let's get back to the quiz. Galatians 3, 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so how? Here are your choices again. Keeping it simple. By works of the law or by hearing with faith? Third question, who sustains you and how? Who supplies what you need in this between from how it started to, to how it ends? Who's with you? Who supplies what you need? Who can when you can't? We were just reminded the other day, we were talking with Jonathan about his first memory verse was Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, who strengthens me. You know why I'd like to say there was a spiritual reason why that was his first memory verse? 
It's because one of his first statements he ever learned to make was, I can't. We lived in Louisiana, all right? Give the kid a break. Say, uh, son, clean your plate. I can't, daddy. Beverly say, Jonathan, take your dishes to the sink. I can't. Clean your room. I can't. Make your bed. I can't. He said, I can't. It was just his way of saying, I, I don't want to, so I can't. <laughs> so we taught him Philippians 4.13, and every time he'd say, I can't, we'd say, oh, what's the Bible say? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And to the kitchen he went with his dishes. So strength, power, supply, sustaining sustenance, as it were. Where does that come from? How do we get from point A to point B? How do we get from the beginning to the end? Well, again, let's look here. Our choices. Who supplies us and sustains us? I do. I achieve. Thank the Lord for saving me. Now I got a lot of work I got to do. By the way, work, especially if you use the work in context, ergon, and the source of the ability to do that work, flesh, what I work up, my sheer determination, my grit and desire and elbow grease? Or is the same faith, the same avenue by which I experience the same grace, gift of strength and power and supply? What's the Bible say? He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or hearing with faith. That word supply means to make available whatever is necessary to help or supply the needs of someone to supply abundantly and bountifully. In fact, if you look a little bit further, there are the words. Works, miracles in the English is really a different sort of understanding. Uh, there are the words, and they are gone, dunames or dunames. It, it, it's really literally powerful work means God's working in you. He didn't just start something and he's going to show up someday and finish it. He's there from beginning to end and all the way through the entire process. Day by day, moment by moment, second by second, we by faith have access to the most incredible, life-giving, sustaining power in the universe. Having just come out of a blizzard, aren't you glad? That, oh, by the way, this word supplies in the Greek means... It's, it's present in the sense it's active participle. Let's say it this way. You don't just say he supplies. You say he keeps on supplying. So he's consistently supplying from beginning to end everything we need in the middle. It's all there. It's always there. Peter said it this way. His divine power. Whose power? My power. Our power. No, his divine power. What kind of power? Divine power has granted to us how much of what we need. Some things, a few things, most things, all things, all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted us, think gift, to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, the divine power, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. I'm talking about a continuing daily source of everything we need to be and to do everything God has ever thought or called us or commanded us to do. Where does that come from? From God. How do we access it? By faith. By faith. And it's an incredible power. I'm not talking about wind power. 
Awkward giggle. (laughs) Which may or may not be with you when you need it. I'm not even talking about fossil fuel power, which some of you would say amen to. I'm certainly not talking about the little six and a half kilowatt generator outside of my garage for a week. No, the word in the Bible is best translated dynamite or dynamic. It's explosive power. In, in, in our way of thinking, that would, would be atomic. Let me tell you, that didn't even come close to the actual kind of power that we're talking about here. here here's how Paul said it in Ephesians 1. And what is the, it's a long sentence, and, and, and what is the immeasurable greatness, this is what Paul is, is praying over us so that we would know and fully understand and come to comprehend what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. We haven't invented yet a source of power to compare, to even come close to the power of God in our lives by faith in the Spirit of God who dwells in us. The greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. You know what kind of power that is? That's resurrection power. There's nothing to compare This never-ending, life-giving, ceaseless stream of power to do everything God has ever called us to do is at our beck and call, simple prayer, heart's desire that by faith we say, Lord, I need you. And I receive what you have already appropriated and made available for me in this moment. Can I just uh, say that the the power of the gospel and the power of the cross and the power of the empty tomb, resurrection power, that resides in each of us by virtue of the Holy Spirit of God, the power of God dwelling in you. Let me just sort of try to carefully say this. If you and I are powerless Christians, the problem is not in the source. The problem is not with the supply. It's a faith problem, folks. It's a faith problem. If you and I lack the power, the ability, the strength to overcome some habit or some desire or some attitude that plagues us, it's not a problem with God. It's a problem in us. It's a faith issue. All the power we need pertaining to life and godliness is yours in Christ, in you, in the person of the Holy Spirit. And faith is the key to unleash that enormous, immeasurable, incomparable power of God in us. The problem's not at the source. It's with our faith. Jesus said if you had just a little bit, of a seed of a mustard, if you just had this little bit of faith, you could just say anything, do anything in the will of God and for the glory of God, and it would be done. Mountain-moving faith, we call it. We just keep climbing those mountains, telling God what we can't do. One step in front of the other, gritting it out, toughing it out. We're all endurance athletes, aren't we? Just keep going. Well, hold on. There is a strength and a power available to you that perhaps you are not accessing because the problem is in your faith, in believing, taking God at His word and implementing what has been appropriated to you in the power of God in you. Let me just say to you, look at me. You can do anything God calls you to do, wants you to do, expects you to do, commands you to do through Christ 
who gives you strength, never tell God what you cannot do. Because what you're saying is more about the God that you say you love and serve than you are about yourself. Don't say that. That would be foolishness. Instead, say, Lord, I believe. And I receive by faith all that you have for me, and I'm going to keep putting one foot in front of the other. By the way, uh, I mentioned endurance athletes. I've got to move fast. We've got to finish because we've got to go to church. Well, we get to go to church. <laughs> Do you know what the second wind is? That's when an endurance athlete comes to the end of himself and he doesn't feel like he could take one more step. Everything's happening in the body. Some chemical things are going on. Fatigue, exhaustion, the attitude begins to fall. And in that moment, he just chooses to take one more step by faith, believing that if he keeps going, something good's going to happen. And this second wind comes. Everything in the body changes. Chemicals start flowing in a different direction. The attitude changes. The feet get lighter. The lungs start get to working better. And the next thing you know, uh, he or she is, is finishing the race. And they get to the end, they say, boy, I hit the wall at mile 20. I wasn't sure I was going to make it. In fact, I was done. But somehow, can I just say, I see you at the gate of heaven. And you and I can talk about the day we hit the wall or the days. <laughs> how we think we could take another step, how we could do one more thing, how we could wait one more day, how we could believe any more than we believe. We, we're get the, I hit the wall, but man, when the wind of the Holy Spirit hit my back, whoo. I found new life and energy. Hey, if you run down today, if you beat up, if you're under it today, there is a wind blowing your way. Believe it, receive it, walk in it. It's the wind of the Holy Spirit and God's power in you. Answer the question and we're done, just about done here. Well, I've got four minutes. Does Mark ever run out of time before he runs out of material? Good, I'm in good company then. So how are you supplied and sustained? The answer, I achieve by works or I receive by faith? Come on, mark your answer. Good answer. Fourth question, what does it take to be right with God? Same two choices. And if you want to be a child of God, in spite of the Judaizers saying, hey, you got this list of boxes to check, you got these things you have to do and you have to do it because you're not saved if you don't. No matter what that Paul said, Paul says, Abraham, by the way, you, you want to go back? Uh, in time? You want to go back? You want to go back to Moses? Let's go back further. Let's go all the way back to Abraham because you said to these Gentile believers, who, by the way, we tend to think about these Judaizers coming along and trying to get Christians to go back under the law. These Gentiles in Galatia had never been under the law. Talk about foolishness. They'd never been under the law. They were Gentiles, had always been Gentiles. And so the Judaizers come and they say, hey, you got this list. You got to do these things or you're not saved. Paul says, well, then how did Abraham get saved? The Bible says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Pistuo, to believe. To the extent of complete trust and reliance upon God. Logizomai is the word to put into one's account, to credit. Think in terms of a bankrupt account. The wages of sin is death. That's what I got in my account. I got a lot of sin, and with that sin comes God's judgment and the impending wrath of God on my sin. I'm bankrupt. But Jesus died who owed no penalty. He had no price to pay. He was sinless. So he has this massive account of righteousness. And when Jesus died, he took my sin 
out of my bankrupt account and nailed it to that cross with Christ and it perished with him. And not only that, he took his righteousness, which he has in abundant supply, and he credited logizomai, he deposited that into my bankrupt account so that now I, you, me, we, like Abraham, can be justified by faith, having the righteousness of Christ imputed to our bankrupt account. That's a faith exchange. You say, what's the big deal about faith? Is it just what you believe? No, it's more than that. It's when what you believe allows for this dynamic spiritual exchange to happen. Sin removed, righteousness deposited. Meaning, that's what it means to be right with God. There's the word. Dikeosune, it means the act of doing what God requires or being right with God. So it was faith that made Abraham right with God. You can read about that in Genesis 15, 6. But note the timing. That statement was made and that credit was credited. That righteousness was there in that account before Abraham's circumcision two chapters later. And before the law of Moses 400 plus years later. Do you know what Paul's doing? He's saying, wait a minute, you're telling these Christians that if they want to be Christians, they've got to first be Jews and sons of Abraham. Let's talk about Abraham. Abraham was credited as righteous by virtue of his faith, before any of these things had happened in his life. Isn't that backwards, boys? Or have you got it backwards? Well, I think we know the answer. To be right with God, do I achieve by works or do I receive by faith? What's your answer? Right answer. You've given the right answer. Let's conclude it. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, pistuo, to come to an understanding as a result of the ability to experience and learn to comprehend and therefore are the children of God by virtue that you are children of faith in the same way Abraham was. And oh, by the way, this isn't a new gospel. This was preached to Abraham beforehand, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Know this, between the choices of what I do and he did. We've got it backwards by making A the do and B that he did. Because the choice has always been A. A has always been the right choice. The choice has always been faith in what he did that we receive by faith. Faith. Know this. Anytime the question comes, is it faith or works? The answer is always, class. Faith. Always has been. Before Moses, what was the answer? Before Abraham, what was the answer? faith and it always will be here's your homework and we're done I want you to think for a few days just let this sort of roll around in your brain the question is why is this still such an unsettled issue for so many people when the gospel is so clear and the Bible is so obviously vividly portraying Jesus is crucified buried and raised again so that we can be with him in resurrection life why here are your choices I'm gonna give you three is it just misinformation? Could be. Be careful who you listen to. Could be doubt and a lack of faith. I mean, what if God can't fully save me? Or fully supply me? Fully sanctify me? What if God can't? What if faith isn't the right way to be right with God? Let me tell you, if, if he's not able, we're in trouble. Because there's anything we can do without, without him. You can't save yourself. You can't sanctify yourself can't deliver yourself because we have a sin problem and when you think about this the lack of faith or doubt 
Some people say, well, I believe God can. I just don't believe that God will or that he has. And it comes to a question of his love. Does God love me enough? Can I just call your attention to the cross and ask you to look back in time and eternity and, and, and answer this question? What does God have to do to prove his love for you? That he would scour the earth, that he would go from east to west, north to south, and around again, looking for you, seeking to save that which was lost. And having done all of this, what more does God have to do to say, I love you, trust me. But then there are some who would say, well, I know God has done all that and made all this possible, but he expects me to do my part. Well, that's just pride and ego talking. That's all that is. That's all that is. I would ask you the question, what is your part? <laughs> or more particularly, what part did Jesus leave undone that you've got to do now? Hmm? And to what degree? I mean, is it like a 50-50 partnership? Are you and Jesus partners in your salvation? Or, or did, did he, is he the majority partner? Did he do like 90% and, and leave you just 10? Or, or did he know how weak you would be and he did 99.9 .9 and left you with 0.01% of your salvation? But if you don't check that box, if you don't do that 0.01% of that one thing that God left undone on the cross that you now have to do in your own effort and by your own strength and according to your own human nature, guess what? Let me just tell you a word for that. Foolish. Hey, if God didn't do it all, if Jesus didn't pay it all, we're in a whole bunch of trouble, folks. Because we just don't have anything to offer. We don't bring anything to the conversation except our sin. <laughs> and he brings our salvation. So I'll ask you the question, how much did Jesus pay? Some? Most? Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. So what's our right response? I surrender some. I surrender most. All to him, Jesus, I surrender. How much? I surrender all. We got to go to church. Father, bless us as we go. Thank you for Pastor Jared and the word that he'll share with us today. Challenge us as we consider what might still unsettle us with regard to our salvation or your grace or the gift of God and eternal life through Christ by faith. If there's anything still unsettled, Lord, help us to settle those issues. Such a big issue, such a big deal in the next few days. Let's turn to you, trust you, love you, hear from you, believe you. By faith we pray in Jesus' name, amen.